It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everybody. We've got a great one for you here today on this Saturday, August 15th. Very, very early in the morning uh, on, on the day of arguably the most important pay-per-view of the year. Uh, perhaps not the most stacked. Not the most stacked, but uh, importance-wise, uh, hard to argue. I mean, 251, that's going to be a tough one to beat. Three pay-per-views, you know, the destiny of three different... Uh, divisions. This this one only only one championship fight, but you know arguably the most important trilogy trilogy uh, in the UFC in the most important division. Uh, heavyweight's always you know the baddest man on the planet is the heavyweight champion. Um, I would argue that the most important division in UFC history is the light heavyweight division, just because that's kind of always been the glamour division with. Um, it's seeming like most of the, the best champions in the UFC have resided in the light heavyweight division, or at least disproportionately so. But um, major, major trilogy coming up here, which we will talk about. Uh, a very fun co-main event um, that a lot of people are a little salty about uh, being stuck in that slot. Um, you know, some people, it depends on, I mean, it really depends on where you fall on the whole uh, Sean O'Malley hype train if you're on it then uh, you're ecstatic. If you're not, uh, you probably think it's a, a little too much of a reach. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to the co-main event. As always, we'll go from the prelims all the way up to the main event. Uh, quick housekeeping note, we are in a brand new studio here, so hopefully it sounds good. If not, I might have some stuff to, to fix around a little bit. It's not exactly 100% complete, but brand new uh I don't think it's steel. Maybe it's steel. Brand new steel studio uh, that was construction constructed um, a couple of days ago. Shout out to uh, my dad, Doug Ely, for uh, helping me make it. And when I say helping me make it, I mean I hand him some tools and uh, tape some stuff up, and he does uh, 99% of the work because uh, you know he's a construction worker. So that's kind of up his alley. I am not very good with my hands. That's Obviously, why I've chosen this profession as opposed to anything with physical labor. So, um, big moment here for North Star Sports. Brand new studio. Uh, we got most of the foam panels um, in here, but it's it's looking sleek. It's a lot better than the old uh, the old setup we had here. So uh, that'll be interesting. Probably we'll have a show tomorrow with Drew Peterson. Um, Hopefully that'll be the main card showdown. I don't know what time he's coming over, if he's staying over for the pay-per-view. I got work tomorrow, but uh, we'll, we'll figure it out, and we'll probably have some sort of show with me and uh, Drew Peterson, who's going to lose another uh, main event showdown. I mean, he's I'm undefeated in four battles, and you know what I mean? He hasn't even come up with a nickname yet, so you know I'm not even, I'm not even worried. I'm not even considering him as an, oppo- as an opponent. It's kind of like uh, Floyd Mayweather going over and doing that Ryzen thing with uh, Tenshin Nasakawa and just kind of clowning him the entire time because he just knows he's so much better. Uh, you know what I mean? It's kind of the same here. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, 
clown with him a little bit, you know, until he comes up with a nickname, then I'll take him seriously, because, you know, then, then there's a threat to the mailman, but as it stands right now, not too concerned, life's great being the champ, um, but yeah, that's pretty much all the housekeeping stuff uh, we have to get to here, so uh, we'll start with the main, excuse me, the, the prelim opener, excuse me, uh, it's a featherweight fight here between Kai Kamaka the third, good old KK3, uh, and uh, Tony Kelly. Uh, KK3 is seven and two. Tony Kelly is five and one. Uh, I have the odds somewhere around here. Uh, these coming from William Hill. Uh, Kai Kamaka is a minus two forty-five favorite. Um, obviously. Don't know a whole lot about these two fighters, like I always say, so I'm not going to sit here and, uh, you know, pretend I know anything about these two guys um, other than, uh, you know, the brief research I did. Didn't do a whole lot of research for this show, to be honest, so just kind of relying on the uh, the top of the old dome ski here because I've uh, been very busy building uh, this studio and uh, doing other stuff. Um, had to tow the Mazda today, which was actually not, not, as, not as painful as other toes we've had we've had many toes for the Mazda um but yeah just uh you know two guys who probably wouldn't be in the UFC if it wasn't uh uh these quarantine COVID-19 times uh notable lack of experience for both fighters I mean nine fights versus six fights uh we'll go with Kai Kamaka just because generally when we don't know what the fuck's going on we'll just go with the favorites because we assume William Hill probably knows something that we don't know uh He's the uh, he's known as the flying, no the fighting Hawaiian. That would have been cool if he was a flying Hawaiian. Uh, the fighting Hawaiian coming out of uh, King of the Cage and Bellator uh, and the LFA. So he's kind of made the the entire uh, circuit there on on you know the B level of uh, mixed martial arts. So you know perhaps a legitimate prospect. I still think a guy who probably wouldn't be in the UFC if they didn't have to put on these fights. Maybe a guy who um, in a couple of fights uh, would make it. Uh, versus Tony Kelly. This guy's 33 years old, making his uh, UFC debut. Um, his nickname is the Prime Time, or just Prime Time with the time capitalized. So I don't like that. That's um, it's not very original. I don't like that. And uh, most notably, he has a, a split decision loss to Kevin Aguilar. That was back in 2016. Uh, he pretty much had a three-year layoff until his next win over Andy Brossette, who was two and five. And now, 13 months later, he made his UFC debut, so absolutely a guy who doesn't belong in the UFC. So uh, now that I've uh, done a little bit more research, uh, yeah, we're definitely not going with Tony Kelly on this one. We are certainly going to go with the Fighting Hawaiian, uh, although I'll call him the Flying Hawaiian. I feel like that's just kind of cooler, is it? I feel like that's like a brand of juice box or something. Uh, moving on here in the heavyweight division, we have Chris Dawkins taking on Parker Porter. Dawkins is eight and three. Porter is ten and five. Uh, oh, there we go. Porter is the minus one twenty-five favorite. Uh, I guess they had the order mixed up there on uh, William Hill. Um, again, don't know a whole lot. I believe that might be the brother. I'm totally fucking speculating here, but I believe that's the brother of Kyle Dawkins, uh, who had that uh, interesting UFC debut versus Brendan Allen. Um, this is a guy who, uh, finishes a lot of his fights in the first round. Um, pretty much all I gotta say on that guy. Uh, the one notable thing about Parker Porter, 
Um, if you go back really early in his career, he has a loss to John Jones. Now, I just thought that was, you know, some random John Jones because, I mean, John Jones is a common name. Uh, clicked on it. Oh, no, that's uh, the John Jones. So I didn't I didn't realize that until I saw that he was uh, booked for this card a couple of weeks ago. Uh, back in 2008, John Jones knocked him out 36 seconds uh, into a, a fight. Uh, John Jones was 4-0. I think Parker Porter was 2-0. So that's uh, that's that's interesting. Uh, I guess the MMA is a small world. It, everything kind of, you know what I mean? It's the circle of life. Now we have this guy at age 35, you know, finally coming into the UFC. So maybe that ma- maybe that makes that win look even better. For John Jones, you know, we always talk about all of John Jones's, you know, championship title defenses and, oh, he beat, he beat all of these former champions. Ah, I mean, you know, you go far, you go far back enough. He beat, he beat Parker Porter. He beat, he beat old PP who eventually made it to the UFC. So, you know what I mean? Another, another solid win, another solid win for, uh, Pictogram Jones. Uh, but that's all I got it. Did I, did I even pick a winner in this one? We'll go Chris Dawkins because I just assume he's the brother of Kyle Dawkins without doing any research. And I don't know. I like his brothers, if that's his brother. So if not, just somebody who shares the same incredibly odd last name. So uh, we'll go Chris Dawkins by, I don't know, pick a fucking TKO, whatever. Uh, moving on here, still on the prelims, we have a women's strawweight fight here between Lavinia Souza. And Ashley Yoder, Souza is 13 and 2. Yoder is 7 and 5. Uh, Souza is the minus 150 favorite, uh, which is pretty shocking. I would have figured she would have been a, a much bigger favorite versus versus Yoder. Um, Souza, this was someone who had um, a little bit of hype coming into the UFC. I know, I know, I say that with a lot of fighters, but you know, there's with every debuting fighter, unless you're Unless you're like 13 and 8 or something, you know what I mean? There's always a little bit of hype. And obviously, you know, the women's division, um, back when she made her debut in 2018, which is not that long ago, but in the grand scheme of the women's divisions, I mean, you know, strawweight's only been around since February of 2013. So, you know, we're talking about very small sample sizes. You know, there's always hype in more shallow divisions about, you know, potential prospects who could, who could, um, you know, uh, make it to the next level. Now, I don't remember her uh, UFC debut versus Alex Chambers, but I do remember her split decision win over Sarah Froda. Um, I believe, unless I'm thinking of a different Sarah Froda fight, although in fairness, there might be a, there, there might have been a couple where she did this. Uh, I believe she missed weight um, by like a lot in that fight. It was either that or the Jillian Robertson fight. Um, but Sarah Froda's a big girl, a very big girl for... Um, 115, because I think she missed by, like, it was something ridiculous. Like, they never should have even put on the fight. It was, like, six pounds or something, if I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, then then suffered a loss to uh, Brianna Van Buren, which I believe was in Van Buren's UFC debut. Um, I don't know, an incredibly short fighter. I think she might be 4'11". Um, but she's coming off of a win over, oh no, a loss to Tisha Torres. That's right. She lost to Torres, but, uh, I thought she probably won that fight. Um, I don't know. It's really tough uh, trying to figure out where not ranked straw weights, uh, kind of reside. Uh, it's, 
you think it's tough trying to figure out where Alessio Zaleski Dos Santos and Muslim Salikov figure into the light or the welterweight division? Yeah, fuck that. Try try figuring out where, you know, Ashley Yoder and and Livia Renata Souza factor into the 115 division. Um, but probably one of the easiest fights they could possibly give Souza. So if she loses this one, then it's probably her last fight in the UFC. Although you never you never know because I mean they like to keep people around for a long time. Um, but Ashley Yoder, not very good, not very good. Uh, let's see here. One, two, three, four. Two and four in the UFC, and her two wins are over Amanda Cooper, who's... Yeah, that's interesting experiment there. And uh, Siri Kondo, never heard of her. Um, yeah, not very good. If, 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 that would speak volumes, speak volumes about where Souza's game is if uh, she lost to Yoder. Yoder is pretty much just, uh, you know, the, the modern-day Kaylin Curran. Um, in that division, so I mean, we'll see where that goes. I'm gonna pick Souza by decision. Don't really feel all that confident either way, but uh, we'll move on here. Uh, in the featherweight division, we have a fight here between T.J. Brown and Danny Chavez. Brown is 14 and seven. Chavez is 10 and three. Uh, let's see here. These odds are not available, so that must have been a very recent change, which. Uh, would make sense because I don't even I don't even remember that fight being on here. So, um, and that was one they just threw on because it doesn't look like Brown or Chavez had a fight previously on this card. So I guess this is just one they kind of threw together. Um, it is an 11 fight uh, fight card, so they probably were stuck at you know 10. There, there's been a couple of fizzled bouts here. Um, I think the one actually there's been two that they've lost over the last. Um, maybe three or four days. I know a couple of days ago they lost Iwan Kutalaba because he tested positive for COVID, so we don't get that fight with Ank- uh, Ankalaev, which, I don't know. I mean, I'm not dying to see that rematch. I understand it's probably the right thing to do because the ref kind of messed up, but, you know, Kutalaba, I mean, when you play with fire, sometimes you get burnt. When you pretend to be wobbled and the and the ref stops the fight, uh, because you looked wobbled. I mean, you know what I mean? That, that might be something where, uh, in the locker room, I tell the ref, Hey, uh, when he hits me with shots that clearly aren't hitting me, cause you can look at the replay and none of those head kicks even remotely landed. Um, yeah, it's going to be my strategy. I know this is kind of crazy, but it's going to be my strategy to, uh, fake being wobbled and then just try to fucking viciously knock him out with an overhand, right? So, uh, I would, uh, I would appreciate it if uh, you didn't stop it. But, uh, yeah, terrible, terrible fucking strategy. I mean, if it, I mean, I guess if it worked, you know, props, props for him, but I'm not dying to see Ankalaya fight Kutalaba. So let's just move on here. You know, we, we, we don't need to, they've been scheduled like four times and they fought. Um, and then the Jorge Gonzalez, Ike Villanueva, that one, um, I don't know why. And I didn't hear any news on that. I'm just looking here at the canceled bouts. And uh, that must have been the one that tipped him over the edge to try to uh, put on TJ Brown and uh, Danny Chavez here. So it'll be interesting. I don't know the odds on this one. I I do know that uh, TJ Brown uh, has had some UFC fights because I remember he fought Jordan Griffin, uh, although he lost in that one by uh, guillotine choke. Uh, He also had a fight on the Contender Series. That must have been Season 3 because it was 2019. Um, So... 
somebody that the UFC has had their eye on for a hot minute. Not not a super long time, but a hot minute. And uh, Danny Chavez, the Colombian warrior, 10-3. and three. Uh, He's 33 years old. And he's coming off of a three-fight winning streak, a three-fight TKO slash KO streak, um, all in the first round. So, um, you know, that's that's interesting here. Um, I guess I'll go. I guess I'll go Chavez just because that's fairly impressive. Obviously, on uh, you know, in promotions I have never heard of. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm changing it. T.J. Brown because he has the UFC experience. Um, but again. Me flip-flopping there should tell you I have no faith in either fighter because I don't have enough tape in the old memory bank here to try to, you know, oh, what's my signature Danny Chavez moment? Yeah, I, I don't have one. I don't, I don't have one. Uh, so moving on here, uh, still on the prelims, uh, the returning Felice Herrig takes on Verna Jandaroba in the strawweight division. Uh, let's see here. I don't believe, as I consult the North Star Sports rankings, I don't believe Felice Herrig is ranked. She might be ranked in the UFC rankings, but she, yep, she's not ranked in uh, North Star's ranking, uh, rankings just because of uh, inactivity, and she's not that good uh, compared to ranked fighters. So this one's interesting. We consult the William Hill odds, Jandaroba. Uh, is the second biggest favorite on the card. There's a couple of, uh, well, one other significant favorite on the card. Um, but she's the minus 310 favorite here over Felice Herrig, who obviously has has the um, the the UFC experience advantage over Jandaroba. Uh, this is Herrig's first fight back since 229. Uh, the, the Khabib McGregor card. She hasn't won since December of 2017. That was a split decision win over Courtney Casey. So, relatively inactive. And, uh, see, you, you can tell she's been so inactive because uh, her, sec- her, her outside of the 229 loss, the last fight before that was a loss to Karolina Kovalkiewicz. And Kovalkiewicz has been on a legendary losing streak. So, I mean, that's how far back she goes um, with, with being inactive. Uh, Jandaroba also a, a little bit of hype coming into UFC because she was undefeated. She was undefeated coming into the UFC, and she came from Invicta, uh, where she was three and zero in Invicta. She might have even been the champ uh, in Invicta. So, I mean, you look at, um, you know, you look at the LFA, not really Bellator, but like trying to think Cer- certainly the LFA why am I blanking on like regional promotions uh King of the Cage K- oh, Cage Warriors like you look at these uh these produce produce and obviously they produce some female fighters but when you look at where are the the male fighters coming from I mean it's normally something like that you know what I mean LFA King of the Cage um you know Ryzen we've seen a lot more from Brave but when you talk about where do most of, of the significant female prospects in the UFC, uh, wh- where have they come from? It's Invicta. So this, you know, she was obviously doing incredibly well in Invicta. She lost uh, in her UFC debut to Carla Espar- Esparza, um, came back and got a uh, submission win over Mallory Martin. So, um, you know, that's not, uh, that's certainly a step down in competition from Carla Esparza. So Herrig, 
a step up from Martin, I guess. So we're kind of narrowing in. We overshot our expectation for Jandaroba, then we undershot it. So I guess we're trying to zero in on what we can expect from Jandaroba. Um, I would certainly expect her to win this one. She's been the more active fighter. Uh, you know, even looking uh, at before her UFC career, I mean, there's a couple of nice wins. Uh, Mizuki Inoue. You know, I mean, again, I'm not trying to oversell Jandarova, but that's a that's a fighter who's in the UFC currently. So uh, we'll go Jandarova by uh, decision. Uh, moving on here, still on the prelims. Uh, it's the prelim main event, the prelim headliner. It's Jim A10 Miller taking on Vince Pichel. Miller's 32 and 14. Pichel is 12 and 2. Uh, we look at the odds here. Uh, essentially a pick em. Pichel's the minus 115 favorite. Jim Miller, the minus 110 favorite. Um, which, again, I, I got to do research. I say that every show. I don't know how the odds could possibly be different as a, as a favorite, but I'm sure that has to work out money-wise. Um, but this this one's interesting. I mean, Jim Miller, um, he's already got a couple of records in the UFC. But if he wins here, I think he's... I think he becomes tied for the most fights in the UFC. If he gets a submission here, I think he's tied for the most submission wins. Uh, he's got to be really close to the most amount of wins, too. I think he might be third all-time. So I think... I think he might be tied... So, it's Cowboy Cerrone. I could pull this up. But uh, off the top of my head, it's Cowboy Cerrone with the most. Then you have, like, Damian Maya, And I think Miller might be tied with Maya. Um, let's see here. Oh, that didn't turn out good. All right, here we go. Yep, so uh, Cowboy Cerrone has the most UFC wins at 23. I was right. Damian Maya, 22. And then Jim Miller with 21. So, if Miller wins, he becomes the second all Tied for the second most wins in UFC history uh, with Damian Maya. Um, and then it, it all tied for number four here. John Jones, Michael Bisping, and GSP all at 20 wins uh, in the UFC. So, I mean, if Jim Miller could win two of his next three fights, I mean, he might have a couple of very significant records in the UFC um, and, and not for trivial stuff. Obviously, you know, the level of competition Jim Miller has faced uh, in his UFC career, not exactly the greatest, you know, strength of schedule. But this was a guy who was ranked in the top five at one point. You know, this was a guy who headlined a Fox card uh, with Nate Diaz at the IZOD Center. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, actually, looking looking at his... Looking at his page, he has faced a lot of good fighters, but his wins don't come against good fighters. Uh, but, but, you know, fair play to Jim Miller. There was a time where he was, and, you know, he's dealing with the Lyme's disease and shit like that. So, you know what I mean? M much respect to uh, Jim Miller. I have, no, I have no clue how much longer he wants to fight, but he is 36. So he's a very, he's a very active guy. He's a very active guy. He's already had two fights already in 2020. So if he even fights for three more years... You know what I mean? Fights till he's 39. I don't know, man. He could fucking smash some records in the UFC. Now that I now that I kind of think about it. Uh, Vince Pichel, tough fighter, kind of underrated. Uh, not a whole lot of people are gonna know who uh, this guy is. 
Uh, I did see him. I did see him. He had that win over Roosevelt Roberts. So that's funny because both these guys, Miller and Pichel, both have recent wins over Roosevelt Roberts. Um, and it's kind of funny looking at what Roberts did to uh, Brock Weaver. But I saw Pichel because he was on the Minneapolis card. Uh, like I said, the win over Roberts. That was his last fight. So he's on a 14-month layoff here. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of tough to tell what... Uh, I don't know. See, when people don't fight that often, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's so fucking tough to know where you are. It's a lot easier to zero in on a Kevin Holland because this guy's fighting every other weekend. Um, so, and Pichel's no, no spring chicken either. He's 37 years old, so he's actually older than Jim Miller. Um, I think it'll be a tough fight. Obviously, these are our two savvy veterans. You look at a guy like Miller, he's clearly going to have the in-cage experience advantage. I mean, he's has like three or four times the amount of fights as, as Vince Pichel. Actually, probably three. Um, but we'll, we'll, go, we'll go Jim Miller on this one. He's going to have the experience. He took no damage in his last fight. Um, wouldn't shock me if he got a submission win here. But, uh, again, don't have a whole lot of uh, tape up in the head on, uh, on either of these two fighters. Uh, moving on here now to the main card. Uh, I'm very excited for this fight. Probably the best fight so far on this card. Uh, it is John Dodson taking on Marab Davalashvili uh, here at Bantamweight. We look at the rankings. Excuse me. We look at the odds from William Hill. Davalashvili is the minus 180 favorite. I think that's fair. You got to pay respect to Dodson. He was the two-time flyweight title challenger. Still very, very tough. Ask Nathaniel Wood. He's, he's still very, very tough. But Marab Davalashvili is an absolute machine. Um, we look at the rankings here. Dodson is currently number 13. Uh, Davalashvili is not ranked. It just tears at my heartstrings that Davalashvili is not ranked. I, I This shows that my rankings are not biased because I am a huge Marab fan. It fucking killed me when he beat... Um, fuck, who did he just beat? Was it Casey Kenny his last fight? Uh, it killed me not to put him in the rankings. I fucking love that guy. But Bantamweight is so deep, I just couldn't put Mirab in there. But if he beats Dodson, who's a number 13 guy, then he's in the rankings. And that would make me very, very happy. Mirab's a very, very special fighter. Uh, this is a guy who arguably, arguably should be undefeated in the UFC. So he's currently on a four-fight winning streak. When he came to the UFC, he lost his first two fights. But it was a bullshit decision, split decision loss to Frankie Signs, And then that really weird... Not a choke. I mean, the, the ref thought it was a choke. That weird situation uh, with Ricky Simone. But he's kind of been on a tear here. He's, all of his wins in the UFC come by unanimous decision. But the pace he puts on you is ridiculous. So, I guess... If we look at his UFC career, we could we could say he doesn't have a lot of finishing power. But I mean, fuck! Didn't, didn't he set he set a bantamweight takedown record on Gustavo Lopez in their last fight? Now I like this fight a lot because it's a it's a notable step up in competition for Marab. He's had a couple of fights, um, you know, against some guys who, you know, they're not super great, like a Brad Katana or or a Terion Ware. Casey Kenny, that's a very solid win. Casey Kenny's a very tough fighter. We found that out in the Ray Borg fight. Um, and then he was supposed to fight Ray Borg in June, 
And I would have loved to have seen that because that's a former title challenger. So you you could really I know Ray Borgs has up had his ups and downs, and he's better at flyweight than he is at bantamweight. But you know that would have been a real test. Gets a win over Gustavo Lopez, who I don't think was in the UFC. I think that was just a late replacement. So kind of tough, but this is certainly a step up in competition. I think he'll. I don't know. Marav doesn't win. He doesn't win in like flashy ways. He doesn't. Like, a, a win's a win with Marab. Like, obviously, he's dominated his last few opponents. But, like, I don't think Marab would be phased if it was a sloppy, dirty, you know, grind him out, take down several time, you know, just coming forward type of fight with Dodson. I don't think he gives a shit about the, you know, the, the style of his win. Um, he doesn't strike me as a, as a guy who would care about that. So, um, I, I think... Listen, Dotson. Dotson's still really tough because he's fast as shit, um, and he's got great footwork. I mean, obviously having been uh, a flyweight, but he's getting up there in age. Uh, he's 35, uh, so we kind of—I don't know, man. That's r- 34 is kind of we, when we see the drop off for for flyweights and bantamweights. So, you know, is this the fight where he's going to be a little bit over the hill? I don't know, man. It's tough because you look at his last few fights. Losses to Marlon Moraes, Jimmy Rivera, and Peter Yan, so the top of division, top of the division type of guys, and a win over Pedro Munoz, who's a top of the, of the division guy, and a win over Nathaniel Wood, who's I mean his fucking nickname is a prospect, you know what I mean? So, uh, he he's still very relevant in in the division at least you know ten through fifteen. Um, but I, I do think Marab will win. Obviously, I'm going to go unanimous decision just because Marab doesn't have a finish in the UFC. And John Dodson's pretty fucking hard to finish. Um, has he been finished in the UFC? Yeah, he's he's never he's never been finished. So, I mean, to put away John Dodson's pretty fucking hard. It's never been done. So, I don't think Marab's the guy who's going to be the one to do it. Just paying their respect to John Dodson, but... Um, I, I do think, I think Marab will get a win. I don't know how good he'll look just because, uh, boy, it's pretty hard to look good against John, Do- John Dodson. Uh, moving on here, uh, still on the, uh, main card, if my webpage would, uh, cooperate here. Uh, we have a featherweight bout here between Herbert Burns and Daniel Pineda. So we look at the William Hill rankings here. Uh, Herbert Burns is the minus 260 favorite. That order, yeah. I mean, this is why the North Star Sports website is far superior. We don't, we don't mess around with you know fucking up the order of fight cards and stuff like that. You know what I mean? We're a very reputable, a very reputable website. Um, so this one's interesting. Obviously, the Burns brothers. Um, you know, his brother Gilbert is going to get a title shot. So you know, the, these guys have both, more so Gilbert because he's been here a little longer, have been running rough shot. Uh, through uh, the um, well, I guess Burns' last couple of fights have been at lightweight, but you know, through through kind of the middle of these divisions, they've they've been on kind of a tear. Uh, both awful names, awful names. Herbert and Gilbert. I couldn't think of two worse names. Shout out to Gilbert Burns because he's a funny motherfucker. Shout out to Herbert just because he's Gilbert's brother. But holy smokes, those are bad names, dude. Those are real bad names. Those are bad names for the 1840s, but, you know, let, let alone the, the 21st century here. Um, but Gilbert, excuse me, Herbert here, Jesus, 
Um, first team all terrible names. Um, but he's on he's on a five fight winning streak, a five fight finish streak. His last four all coming in the first round. Um, had that UFC debut versus Nate Landwer, who had a, a lot of uh, actually a lot of hype when I, when I say that coming into the UFC because he was uh, champ, I believe, in M1, if not M1, uh, ACB or whatever the fuck they're calling it over in Russia. But he was a champ over in Russia uh, and uh, kind of demolished him in the first round. Uh, he had a win. Uh, oh, in had a win, excuse me, um, it's real late here, uh, in June over Evan Dunham, that doesn't impress me as much as the Landwehr, uh, win, just because Dunham is really over the hill, um, Pineda doesn't really seem like a move up for him necessarily, but, uh, it does kind of seem to, to be a fan favorite when I look at Twitter, there seems to be a lot of, uh, interest, uh, in Daniel Pineda, interestingly, his last two fights in have both come in the PFL, and they're both no contests. So I wonder why that is. That's interesting. Maybe he uh, failed uh, drug test or something. I don't really know. But uh, outside, he's on a. I guess if you count those two no contests, he's on a six-fight unbeaten streak. Um, this was a guy who was in the UFC for uh, a short period of time. Fought uh, Pat Schilling. Uh, Mike Brown, former WEC champion, Mike Brown, uh, Diego Brandau, but he just kind of just kind of fizzled out. But uh, you know, staying pretty active. Uh, for me, it's I, I don't even think it'll be close. I think uh, Herbert is going to run over Daniel Pineda here. Um, you know, you look at that family. I mean, they they might be the first brother tandem to to be champs simultaneously in the UFC. Um, obviously Herbert has some more work to do, um, as opposed to Gilbert, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think Burns beats Pineda here. So moving on here, still on the main card, I suppose we'll call it the featured bout on the main card. It's a heavyweight showdown between the former UFC heavyweight champion, Junior Dos Santos and Jairzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstroik. Uh, we look at the rankings here, the North Star Sports rankings. Uh, we have JDS at 5, Jairzinho at 6. So, I mean, rankings-wise, this makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of funny because, you know, with them being 5 and 6, the winner of this fight will move up to number 5 or stay at number 5. And it's kind of funny, man, because you look at the heavyweight division, because the trilogy between DC and Stipe has taken um, just about two years, um, actually, maybe even a little more than two years, um, the top five is so set. I talked about this uh, on the recap show uh, with Lewis and, and Olenek, but the top five is so fucking set, you couldn't argue, you could not argue the, the order of the top five. Cormier absolutely is the number one contender. Now, he's not going to matter after this Saturday, win or lose. But Nganu at, as number two, couldn't make a case for him not to be number two. You could not make a case. Look at who he's ran through. Curtis Blades, number three. You could not make a case Curtis Blades is not the number three heavyweight in the UFC's uh, heavyweight division. You know, look at who he's ran through. And then he has the two losses to Nganu, so obviously that puts him one spot behind. Uh, Derek Lewis, obviously number four. I mean, you know what I mean? Had some setbacks at the top to, to Cormier and, and and things like that. But 
You look at the body of work that he's put together over his last few fights, even though some of those decisions might be a little little bullshit, has to be number four. And then, you know, say JDS knocks out Rosenstrike or Rosenstrike not, knocks out Junior, you couldn't argue that they'd be number five. So it's kind of funny because there's a lot of divisions where you could go, well, I don't know. I could see Fighter X being number three or number four or number five. I guess it just depends on how you, you look at fighters. With the heavyweights, bro, you can't even fucking argue. That's the order. I would love to see. I would love to see the amount of crack you have to smoke to to think that's not the order. Um, this this will be a good one. Obviously, two very very heavy-handed uh, heavyweights. I mean, most heavyweights are, but uh, these ones in particular. And it'll be interesting to see how Rosenstrike handles that loss. Uh, to Nganu. I mean, that loss wasn't even close. The first punch that landed, I know there, it was a flurry, so he threw like four punches, but the first punch that landed knocked him out cold, viciously. So this was a guy who was kind of running through the UFC's uh, heavyweight division. I got to stop saying the UFC's heavyweight division because I've said that like 19 times in the last minute. Um, but this was a guy who just, you know, he knocked out Alan. He knocked out Alan Crowder. Now nobody thinks Alan Crowder is that good of a fighter because he's not, but he knocked out a human being with a jab in nine seconds. Uh, you know, brutally, brutally finished Andre Arlovsky in 29 seconds. Now obviously he lost pretty much 24 minutes to Alistair Overeem, but you know, exploded his lip. You know, and, and then suffers a, a very bad setback versus Ngannou. So, I mean, the sledding gets a little easier, but not that much easier because JDS is still tough. Uh, And and for JDS, how does he respond? He's on a two-fight losing streak. Um, It's not crazy to think. He's 36. So, we see heavyweights go to 40, 41, 42. So, as crazy as it sounds, JDS might still be here in 2025. You know what I mean? So it is possible that JDS becomes champion again. I'm not going to say it's likely. I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but he's in the top five. He gets a couple of wins. He takes on a fighter he's never faced before. You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he becomes champ again. But, uh, you know, the, the two knockout losses to Nganu and Blades, certainly not uh, not ideal. Not ideal. So um, I don't know. I, I would favor... Hmm. I don't know. I'd, I'd favor JDS in this one. I think Rosenstrike, I think that very quick knockout might mess with him. And even with Rosenstrike, he's a talented fighter. I'm not trying to dismiss his abilities, but he did. I'm not I'm not going to say the, the punch that landed on Alistair was lucky, but fuck me, dude. He was losing 24 minutes of that fight. It wasn't even close. And that's a crafty veteran in Overeem. Well, what the fuck do you think JDS is? A crafty veteran. So... You know, he's going to face another crafty veteran. And the bad news for Rosenstrike uh, is, is that you don't have the 25th minute to knock out JDS. You, it's a three-round fight. So, I mean, I guess that's how you approach it. I mean, you could maybe you could put the... Maybe you say that's good for Rosenstrike because he could put the pedal to the metal a little bit more because he doesn't have to worry about fighting in a main event. But, you know, I think JDS... I don't know, man. JDS has really good, really good boxing too. So, plus, he has a mustache right now. So, you know, it would actually be really good 
if JDS knocked out Jairzinho really quick in the first round while having the mustache. Because then a new fighter is born, you know what I mean? Like uh, long-haired Cody, C-level Kane, EPO Dillashaw. This would be a new... I forget what they call that. Not an eponym, but, um, you know, like a new a new version of a fighter, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the name is. I just know I just know it when I see it. I don't know I don't know what to call it, but I know what it is. You know, Pictogram Jones. You know what I mean? Uh, porn star, porn star mustache JDS. That's what could be born here. That's this is what we're talking about. So I, I really hope JDS wins for a multitude of reasons. But uh, I'm gonna pick him to win. I'm not gonna say he's gonna finish Jairzinho. Um, although that's that's a distinct possibility, but uh, we'll go by unanimous decision. Just because you know JDS is the is the veteran fighter, probably not gonna come after him and, and you know blitz him and, or, or something something like that. So he'll probably be pretty patient um, in this fight. Uh, moving on here now to the co-main event. Uh, it is a bantamweight fight here between Sugar Sean O'Malley and Marlon Chito Vera. O'Malley's the minus 330 favorite. We look at the North Star Sports UFC bantamweight division rankings. We currently have Sean O'Malley at 14, and we currently have Vera at 15. So, two pretty lowly ranked bantamweights uh, to, to be in the co-main event slot on a fucking pay-per-view. But, you know what I mean? It's... This is not John Dodson versus Song Yudong. This is a, a major hype train, you know. So hopefully this settles down some of the nerds who are a little mad that you know, oh they're they're so lowly ranked. How are you gonna put put them at the coming event? Yeah, dude, Sean O'Malley. What was it? He had those Boston Celtic ripoff O'Malley jerseys with like 420 and 69 or whatever, and sold out the jerseys, and they were all like 250 bucks a piece. Piece. Like, this guy's a legitimate superstar. You know what I mean? Any Like, a lot of people who say star in the making for Sean O'Malley, ah, not really, man. He's kind of just a star right now. He's not He's not ranked in the top five, so he's not a star in the sense that he's a champion or a, a title challenger, you know what I mean? But he's certainly a star. You can't say Sean O'Malley's not currently a star. Look, you know, look at everything. He's in a co-main event here, you know, on on a pay-per-view that's hosting arguably the most important trilogy fight in UFC history. So there's clearly something here. Uh, now, this is certainly going to be his toughest fight to date here over Marlon Vera. I don't agree with the odds. I think they should be a little closer. Um, you look at a guy like Marlon Vera. Uh, he did lose his last fight to Song Yidong, or Yidong Song. Uh, I, I, I forget which one goes first. Um... But Yidong Song, he's a he's a very good he's a very good fighter. Now, obviously, we all think that's a bullshit decision. But even with it being a bad decision, you know Yidong Song's a very very tough young fighter. Um, again, thought he won, but you know this is a guy who who he gets finishes in the UFC. So he he's been here for a hot minute actually. He's he's been here since. Uh, Jesus Lord, he's been here since 2014. 2014, he's only 27. Hasn't faced the greatest of competition, but a guy a guy who stays active, 
you know, he has a loss to Davy Grant going back into 2016, a loss to Marcos Beltran. Um, but a guy I really like that his coach is Jason Perillo. You look at what Perillo did um, with obviously with Michael Bisping. Um, I believe that welterweight surge for Rafael dos Anjos was under the tutelage of Perillo. Um, and again, you know, Marlon Vera, not he's not without his setbacks, but he's he's racking up a lot of UFC wins. So, and the same could be said for Marlon Vera. This is definitely his toughest test uh, to date. But it's interesting. I mean. O'Malley's pretty much always going to have a height and reach advantage on any fighter he fights with him being 5'11 in the bantamweight division. But, uh, you know, Cheeto 5'8", 70 and a half inch arms, that's pretty significant for uh, bantamweight. Now, what's what's interesting to me is not necessarily a win by Sean O'Malley because we've come to expect wins from Sean O'Malley. So obviously everything I just said about this being his toughest test, not not a cliche, certainly the toughest opponent he's faced. Like, if he skated by on a split decision or just a boring unanimous decision, eh, I'm not going to say that's the end of the world for O'Malley because it's certainly not, but we, we expect vicious knockouts. We expect vicious knockouts from O'Malley. We expect him to kill someone like he did to Eddie Wineland or to uh, Jose Alberto Quinones, you know, to Teco. So when you have the hype train that he does for a lot of, you know, outside-of-the-cage reasons and for a lot of inside-the-cage reasons for getting these first-round finishes, uh, even going back to, you know, because obviously he doesn't have a huge sample size here, he's still very young in his career, but, you know, the Contender Series knockout over uh, Kashakian. You know, if, if you don't win in spectacular fashion, it's almost like, well, this is fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Now, this this might be a bad example, but I think you'll know what I mean. But, like, an Israel Adesanya puts on brilliant performances versus Whitaker and, and a fight of the year with Gastelum. But as soon as he has a stinker with Romero, oh, man, fuck this guy. What, the, what a fucking clown. You know what I mean? No, not every fight's gonna be. Not every fight's gonna be a Cody Garbrandt knockout. It's not gonna be a Francis Ngannou knockout. You know what I mean? Even, but 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 the good thing for O'Malley, because of all, eventually O'Malley will have a performance that's not a ten out of ten. You know what I mean? There's gonna be a regression, maybe not back to the mean, but back to you know maybe back to reality. He's not gonna have. He might have an eight out of, te- of of a of a ten finish or a decision. Uh, or, or something like this. But luckily, that's just kind of reactionary stuff. Anderson Silva had a lot of stinkers. Damian Maya, Patrick Cote, you know, fights like this. But nobody really remembers those. We just kind of remember him fondly for, you know, fucking schooling Chris Lieben and um, uh, Forrest Griffin, that knockout, that super weird punch he threw on him. The Obviously, the, um, you know, the iconic front kick knockout of uh, Vitor Belfort, so, you know, I mean, that stuff kind of fades away, so that's kind of the good news for a guy like uh, Silva, or a guy like uh, Izzy, or a guy like O'Malley, obviously that, I'm, I'm kind of projecting here that he won't have a stellar performance, certainly possible that he could have a good, uh, an amazing performance, he could, it, it's certainly within the, the, the spectrum of possibilities that he just viciously knocks out Marlon Vera, but would I say that's the most probable outcome? Probably not. Uh, that being said, I'm going to favor I'm still going to favor 
uh, O'Malley in this one. I think he gets it done versus Vera, but this might be a dogfight because they've been talking some shit back and forth. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't see Marlon Vera just sitting out there to be a punching bag. So, you know, this this is probably lining up to be a fight where O'Malley will take more damage than he's ever taken um, in in a, inside the UFC's octagon. Maybe even more so, although I guess, you know, absolutely exploding his foot versus Sukumtat. I mean, that's a lot of damage. But, I mean, that's one catastrophic injury. This might be, you know, more of a collection of damage. But... Uh, we'll, we'll go O'Malley, and uh, we'll go by we'll go by decision because I don't think I don't think Vera's gonna be that easy to to finish. That's gonna be you know that's gonna be a, a tall task to try to finish uh, Marlon Vera, who I don't think has ever been finished before. Yeah, has never been finished. So um, I, I know that's a challenge for uh, the human coloring book, Sean O'Malley, but. Uh, I don't. I don't think he does it, but I do think he gets the dub, which is ultimately, at the end of the day, is the only thing that matters. And moving on here now to the main event of the evening, it's the heavyweight championship of the world. It's the trilogy. It's Stipe Miocic taking on Daniel Cormier. Miocic nineteen and three, Cormier twenty-two, two and one, no contest. Uh, obviously, Cormier is the number one contender here. Uh, first fight was back in July of 2018, UFC 226. The second fight, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I could just fucking have one click and figure this out. Um, but uh, the second fight was August of 2019. That was at 241 at the Honda Center. Um, so it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. I found it interesting when they were interviewing Stipe Miocic for the uh, pre-fight presser when he was saying, I consider retirement after every single one of my fights going back to my UFC debut. Um, I, I don't look into that too much, but that is something, um, you know, that some people have mentioned that, you know, hey, all this talk about DC retiring after the fight, well, you know, well, who's to say Miocic doesn't? What is he going to do? You know, he'll win the trilogy. That's very important. He's already been a two-time UFC heavyweight champion. He already has the most title defenses, uh, consecutive title defenses, and probably most title defenses. Um, if I, well, if he wins this one, you know, he adds another one. So, I mean, to defend the belt four times is pretty impressive. Um, so what is, what does he do? Maybe stick around for money, I guess. But you know, do you want to stick around and face Nganu again? I think it'd be lying if he said you want to face Nganu. Now, would he beat him? Yeah, probably, maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. Nganu's kind of improved a lot, but you know, there's a lot of killers here. Um, so I, I'll just kind of start this by saying, I have, like I said on uh, uh, the show on Wednesday, getting my days mixed up here, but uh, DC is on the MMA Mount Rushmore for me. He's the number four fighter of all time in my uh, book. So just very quickly, John Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, DC. Um, if DC loses this fight, he might bump off by Mount Rushmore. If he wins it, it only solidifies him being on there. Um, I do agree I do agree, not very controversial, but I just like to put that out there because I'm going to use it to preface um, a second point here. But obviously, the winner of this fight is the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. You know, there are some people like Brian Campbell who say that Cain Velasquez is still the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, just because you know you look at what he did during his time here; it was very impressive. Obviously, he doesn't have. He was only a one-time UFC heavyweight champion. He only defended the belt two times, I think. 
Um, you know what I mean? So, fair enough. You got to give respect to Kane, but I don't think you could argue that Stipe isn't the greatest heavyweight of all time, If uh, UFC heavyweight of all time, if he beats uh, DC in this one, I think, if he wins. The winner of this one, in my mind, they're, they're, they're dead even. They're dead even. So, um, whoever wins this is the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. And I'd like to throw that out there. I think whoever wins this fight probably is the greatest heavy, the greatest heavyweight of all time in in any sport. You know what I mean? I I, I know you got guys like Fedor out there. Yeah, Fedor fought a lot of bums. You know what I mean? He, obviously, he had a lot of tremendous, tremendous victories. But when you talk about wow, his his heavyweight record's thirty nine and six. Wow, he was undefeated for ten years. Well, yeah, he fought, you know, for every Crow Cop he fought, he fought a Hongman Choi. So, you know what I mean? It's a little screwy. DC never had, DC and Stipe never had fights like that. They never had fights off. You know what I mean? So, I, 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 I'm not saying that I necessarily think that the winner of this is the greatest, the greatest straight up heavyweight of all time, but that's certainly a talking point. That's certainly something that, um, that could be true. Now, I'm picking DC to win this one. I think DC wins it. Um, I'm not going to say Stipe got lucky because he had to make the requisite adjustments after taking uh, you know, a beating in the second fight, but I tend to agree with DC on this. They've fought for a total mm, of about 25 minutes. About The first fight was a first round... Wait, was it a first round knockout or was it a second round knockout? It definitely was a knockout. First round knockout. So five minutes, 20 minutes, 20, 20, yeah, pretty much 25 minutes. DC's won 24 of those 25 minutes. DC's damn near dominated. You go back, he certainly won those first three rounds at 241. So I, I think it's very fair to say that Daniel Cormier lost at UFC 241, more so than Stipe won. It was Daniel Cormier who was winning that fight and then didn't listen didn't listen to his coaches, which allowed Stipe to make adjustments and win. It was Daniel Cormier who didn't use his Olympic-level wrestling to take down Stipe. It was Daniel Cormier whose hands were down because he didn't respect the power. It was Daniel Cormier who didn't stop the body shots. It wasn't Stipe imposing his will. It was... I'm not going to say a lack of will from Cormier, but certainly a lack of respect from Cormier uh, for Stipe's abilities. So, yeah, Stipe won, but it was more of DC losing. It was more of DC losing. So, I think DC certainly possesses... If DC implements his game plan, uh, which in this smaller cage is is really going to behoove him, take him down, and again... Oh, and DC said the right things. Like, I can't just take him down at will. You know, Stipe's a great wrestler. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah, but you're a fucking Olympian. You're, you know what I mean? So, Daniel Cormier has the better wrestling. He has he has more power, albeit, you know, this is heavyweight division. So, both of them clearly have power. Uh, they both came in pretty light for this fight. I think Stipe came in at 233 and DC at 236. Um... I forgot what DC came in at at 241. It might have been 245-ish, uh, right around there. So he's coming in. He's coming in lighter. Um, and I, I think Cormier gets the finish. I'm gonna go by. I'm gonna go by knockout. Um, 
but I, th- I think he gets the finish, and I'm going to go, I'm going to say in the third round, because that's what should have happened in the last fight. Like, it, it, it's it's adjustments that Cormier has to make. Now, I'm not trying to shit on Miacic, because clearly he's one of the best UFC fighters of all time, but man, when DC's implementing his game, when he's doing what he wants to do, Stipe doesn't really have an answer for it. DC kind of gifted him that victory. Obviously, this is the sport of mixed martial arts, so anything can happen in a fight. But I'll be damned if I didn't if I didn't think that DC was really, really going to win this one. Uh, which is why we're going to make Daniel Cormier the mailman's lock of the week. It's time now. For the mailman's lock of the week. So there you have it. Daniel Cormier is the mailman's lock of the week. Uh, I feel pretty confident about this one. Obviously, we're we're messing around here because it's high-level mixed martial arts. So, like I said, anything can happen. But I just think when you go down the line, okay, obviously reach and height are going to be in favor of Stipe. But, you know, fuck me, wrestling's in favor of Cormier, power's in favor of Cormier, the clinch is in favor of Cormier. He knocked him out in the clinch in the first in the first fight. So, I think DC, it's his last fight, he'll make the requisite adjustments, he'll leave it all in the cage. I think, quite frankly, it's going to be competitive, but he, he might dominate him a little bit, you know what I mean? It might be like those first three rounds um, at 241, but I don't think there's going to be a fourth round like there was in 241, or if, what I mean by that is a how the fourth round turned out. So maybe we do go to the fourth round or the, or the fifth round, but I don't think there will be that moment where, where Cormier doesn't respect him and, you know, let Stipe land fucking 12 body shots, 12 crippling body shots that he could have stopped any of them. Uh, you know what I mean? Just standing there like a punching bag. So uh, I think DC in his final fight, he rides off into the sunset and then I think he's done. I think he's done. I know his coaches were talking about I don't think they were talking about it. I think they were asked about it. But they, I, I know they had talked about, you know, they'd support DC if he wanted to go and fight uh, John Jones in a trilogy fight at heavyweight. I don't think he does that. The way Stipe, or the way DC talks, um, you know, the, the last couple of weeks in uh, interviews with the media, you know, he really wants to go out on top, like he said, like Peyton Manning, um, you know what I mean, like a Michael Jordan before he came back with the Wizards, uh, which is a terrible example. Uh, for for DC's sake, but you know I really think he'll prioritize going out on top. He doesn't want to be the guy who goes out on a loss, so uh, I I think he'll get it done. Daniel Cormier will be the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, obviously the DC the double champ, and uh, he he's one of the greatest of all time. Daniel Cormier certainly on the MMA Mount Rushmore, and that's how that's how 252's main event's gonna play out. So with that, we'll wrap up the show here again. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN, North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M-I-N. You can check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great day.